So what we're going to do is ask God's help and then read Romans 2, 1 to 16. We took a look at this passage last Sunday, but we didn't complete it. This will be the second part. So let's go ahead and just bow our heads. Let's ask God's help today. Lord, I know that nothing of eternal value will take place this morning unless you come, unless you work, unless you speak. And Lord, we're dependent upon your Holy Spirit right now to do a work. So we implore you, Lord, in spite of us, would you work through us anyway to fulfill your good pleasure and to glorify your great name. We pray through Jesus, our Lord and our mediator. Amen. Okay, Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that you, which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O oh man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds, to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, but to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves and that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. Now, here in Romans chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is addressing Jews in Rome. We know that because of verse 17. But if you bear the name Jew... And it doesn't seem like he has gone to any different audience between verse 16 and verse 17. So I understand him through the the entirety of chapter 2 to be addressing Jews. And what he's doing as he addresses this Jewish audience is he's describing the final judgment. The judgment of God that is to come. Now last Sunday, we began our exposition of this passage and today we're going to finish it. As I've thought about the judgment of God... I think this must be the most fearful, awe-inspiring, momentous event that anybody is ever going to face. 
Try to imagine what it is going to be like on Judgment Day for every man, woman, and child who's ever lived to be ushered before the presence of God to receive the sentence of God Almighty. Actually, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be the judge on that day, according to his own words in John chapter 5. The Father has committed all judgment to the Son. So Christ himself is going to be the one on the throne. All the nations will be brought before him. He will separate them as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right, the goats on his left, and he will utter eternal sentences to every person on that day. Older theologians have called this the great assize, A-S-S-I-Z-E. It means a tribunal where a court sits and renders decisions. Others have called this the great divide. That's a good name for it because it is that moment in history that divides the temporary from the eternal. It's going to divide history. And only those who are approved by Jesus Christ himself will be welcomed into God's eternal kingdom. Those who are not approved on that day will be condemned and cast into everlasting hell. And so the question that we need to be asking ourselves is, will we survive this judgment? Will we be able to pass through this judgment and make it to the other side? What will Jesus Christ say to you on that day? What is he going to say to me? Will there be words of praise that I will receive, that you will receive from the lips of Christ himself? Last week I told you that I really think we could define biblical holiness as learning to live each moment in the light of eternity. Just contemplate that for just a minute. I think we don't really dwell on eternity very often. If we really did, it would totally transform our lives. But biblical holiness is training yourself to live this moment, the actions and the attitudes of my mind right now, in light of the judgment to come. And I really believe that only when we truly meditate upon eternity to come are we prepared to live right now in this present world. Now, in chapter 2, verses 1 to 16, Paul is focusing on this final judgment. And we know that because he brings it up over and over and over. For example, in verse 2, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. Or verse 3, do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or verse 5, the very last phrase, the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Or verse 16, on the day when according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. So he keeps coming back again and again and again to the judgment of God, addressing these Jews, giving them a lesson on what it's going to be like on that final day to stand before him. I believe there's seven principles about God's judgment that we can glean from this passage. And we looked at four of those last Sunday. But because so many of you weren't here, I'm going to do a quick review. And then we're going to move on and cover three more of these principles today. The first principle we looked at was that the judgment of God is going to be just. That means it will be regulated according to strict justice. We know that from verse 5. He talks about the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. The word righteous means it's just. It's according to justice. When God judges all men, there will be no mistakes made. 
There will be no injustices made on that day. Everything will be absolutely righteous and just when he renders decisions from his own lips. In verse 1, he says, Therefore you have no excuse, every man of you who passes judgment. And I told you last week, when our kids are little, we'll tell them, you know you have no excuse for what you've done, right? And what we're doing is trying to help them understand that it is just for me and right for me to exercise discipline and to punish this action. God's telling mankind, you have no excuse. If you pass judgment on others and do the same yourself, there's going to be strict judges, justice on that day before God. In Deuteronomy 32, in verse 4, there is a description of God given. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Now, sometimes human judges get it wrong, right? Sometimes a human judge, because he's fallible, will condemn an innocent person, or he'll let a guilty person go scot-free. But that's not going to happen on that day. The Lord will do what is right when he judges men. The second principle, the judgment of God will be inescapable. And we get that from verse 3. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Does anybody here really think you're going to escape God's judgment? Are you going to devise some way to be able to make yourself invisible or just disappear or something? It's not going to happen. In Revelation 6, there's a description of people crying out to the mountains and the rocks to fall on them. Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb, they say. Hide me. I don't want to face Him. And we think, the wrath of the Lamb? I thought Jesus. there's no wrath in Jesus. He's just a very gentle, loving... Well, when he comes back as the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he's going to be roaring with power and he'll take vengeance on his enemies. And people will wish they could hide from the wrath of the Lamb. It's inescapable. Now, sometimes, again, people who are guilty are able to escape justice in this life. Sometimes they're just never caught for the crimes that they commit. And if they are commit, sometimes they're let off because of some kind of a technicality. And even if they're sent to prison, some of them have even been able to escape prison. So perfect justice never really happens in this lifetime. I told you last week about Joseph Mengele, the Nazi doctor who was in charge of these experiments upon Jewish people in World War II. Uh, barbaristic, sadistic, cruel, treated people like guinea pigs sewed Siamese twins together to see what would happen, and they died of gangrene days later, put people out in the freezing sub-zero temperatures naked to see how long they could survive. I mean, just terrible, terrible things. And he was never caught, because before the Russia's Red Army came in to Auschwitz, he had fled a few days earlier. He fled over to... Um, let me find it. Argentina, thank you. And then to Brazil. Thank you for that. <laughs> but it does show you, you know, here, here is this doctor who's doing terrible, terrible things to people, treating them as having no value at all. 
That's the way they would look at the Jewish people is that they were like subhuman. And so it's okay to do anything you wanted to them. And after they did these crazy, weird, torturous experiments, usually on children, after they're done with that, they would just send them to the gas chambers a few weeks later. Joseph Mengele was never tried. He was never punished for his war crimes. And many, most of the people in Nazi Germany were never punished for their war crimes. There was just a very small handful that were. And something within us rises up and says, that's just not right. That's not just. But Joseph Mengele and Adolf Hitler and every other person will stand before Jesus Christ one day. And there's going to be a just sentencing on that day. So it's inescapable. Number three, the judgment of God will be severe on the unrepentant. Verse 5 tells us, It's because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart that you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Why is God's wrath being stored up more and more and will eventually be poured out upon certain individuals? Paul tells us it's because of their stubborn, unrepentant heart. That tells me that repentance is absolutely crucial. Repentance enables a person to escape the wrath of God, and an unrepentant heart brings the wrath of God on him. The wrath of God is like an atomic bomb. And God has released this atomic bomb from heaven, and it's falling to earth. And it's going to do, literally destroy everything in its wake. Romans 1.18, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness of, of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So it's like that bomb, and it's coming. It's only a matter of time until it hits, and there is one bomb shelter where you can find safety from that wrath. That bomb shelter is Jesus Christ. And repentance is what unlocks the door so that you can gain entrance into that bomb shelter. Without repentance, you are locked out. You can't get in. And it will annihilate anyone who does not repent. So repentance is not some secondary issue that maybe you get around to it as a Christian later on down the life. You're not a Christian if you've never repented, which means turning from sin and turning to Christ to save you. The fourth principle we looked at was that the judgment of God will usher us into eternal joy or eternal misery. And those truths come from verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. In verses 7 and 10, it describes eternal life. And verses 8 and 9 describe eternal wrath. Let's just look at them quickly. Verse 7, To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Verse 10, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There we have described for us everlasting joy. It's described as glory, honor, immortality, and peace. We won't go into all those terms this morning, but it's a beautiful, glorious future that is held out to those who are the saved of God. But in contrast, verses 8 and 9 describe something entirely different. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, God will render wrath and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, 
of the Jew first and also of the Greek. So there it's described as wrath, indignation. Indignation is like burning anger. It's a synonym of wrath. And then tribulation and distress. Those are the words that describe those who are not saved on this final day. Everlasting joy or everlasting misery. Man, try to wrap your head around this. The stakes are so high. Is this book to be believed? Is it telling us the truth about these things? If it is that every person you know, every person you pass on the street, every person you say hi to is going to everlasting joy or everlasting misery, that's going to happen. If this book can be believed, that's actually going to happen. Do we believe it? Now we say we do, but do we live like we believe it? We don't. We don't live like we believe it. We can go for weeks without telling anyone about Jesus Christ. How can we do that if this is true? Folks, we need to wake up. Eternity is real. And we're headed there. All of us are going to be in one place or the other. What are we doing in this life? Oh my goodness. John Bunyan in his famous little book, Pilgrim's Progress, has a man named Christian. And when he figures out that he's reading a book, and from that book he discovers that he's living in the city of destruction. And so he tries to persuade his wife and his children, we have to get out of here. The city is doomed. And it seemed like he was just making a mockery of it, or he was just you know, joking around. They didn't take him seriously. And so finally, when they wouldn't join him, he stuck his fingers in his ears. He wouldn't listen to them any longer. And he said, life, life, eternal life. And he ran out of that city. And he ran towards the heavenly city. That's the kind of person who believes in heaven and hell. They take it seriously. Their life takes on importance. Every action now takes on importance because it all will be judged by this great God with whom we have to do. So that was the fourth principle we looked at. Eternal joy or eternal misery. Now number five. The judgment of God is going to be according to our deeds. Look at verse six. Who will render to each person according to his deeds? Now, this may strike you as odd if you've never thought about this. <laughs> but every place you read in the New Testament about the judgment, it says that we're going to be judged according to what we have done. Our actions, our deeds. It doesn't say you'll be judged according to your faith or your profession. It says what you, how you have lived. That will be what God is going to use as the measure to judge you on that final day. Did you notice in verse 6 who's going to be judged? Each person. person. Folks, even if you're a Christian, you're not going to get a free pass and escape this. You will be judged just like a non-Christian will be judged. You're going to be there. You're going to have to stand before Christ and give an account of your life. Each person. Now let's look at some other verses that would help us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 gives us another one. Verse 10, 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. First of all, who's going to be judged according to this verse? All. 
Everybody. And he says, for we must all appear. Paul's talking about himself and them. They're Christians. They're believers. All of us are going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he's saying. And what will be the standard again? Our deeds. What we have done in the body. Whether that deed that you committed was good or whether that deed that you committed was bad. Those actions will come up for scrutiny before God to be judged. Let's look at another one. Matthew 16, verse 27. Here we have the words of Christ. Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of His Father with His angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Do you see the same two truths again? Every man according to his deeds. It's consistent. Wherever you look, it's the same. <laughs> Let's look at one more. Revelation 22, the last book of your Bible, the last chapter of your Bible. Revelation 22 and verse 12. And these are the words of Christ again. He says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. There it is again. Every man, the standard, what he has done. Now, you might be confused at this point, thinking, well, Brian, are you telling me that I am going to be saved or lost depending on what I've done? No. No, I'm not telling you that. You are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The foundation and the ground of your salvation is not your deeds. It's Christ and what Christ has done on your behalf. Your salvation is in Christ alone. Let's be very, very clear on that point. But that doesn't settle the issue of Romans chapter 2. We're not saved by our deeds, but we will be judged according to our deeds. That's exactly what the text says. So let's try to unpack this and try to understand this. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So salvation is a free gift. It's not earned. It's not merited. It's not deserved. Your actions have nothing to do with gaining the salvation of God. But your deeds are the evidence that your faith is real. And if you have no deeds that prove that your faith is real, you may be turned away from God on that day. doesn't matter if you say, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I perform miracles? Didn't I speak in tongues, Lord? The Lord will say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. It doesn't matter if you're religious. It doesn't matter if you go to church. What matters is, was your life transformed by the grace of God? Do you have deeds that show that you were a real Christian? That you had living faith? It wasn't a dead faith. It was a living faith in, in Jesus Christ. God is going to show to the entire universe our deeds to prove whether or not we did trust in Jesus Christ or not. See, in any courtroom, you need public evidence that will prove that the judgment that is rendered by the judge is just. 
God is going to call forth our deeds as that public evidence so that when he renders, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Everyone there will see that that was just because we did trust in Jesus Christ. And the reason that they can know that we did trust in Christ is because God's going to show them your deeds. And if God were to say, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, everyone will know that was just because he's going to show their deeds to show they had no living faith in Christ. They had some religious works, but they weren't the fruits of genuine faith in Christ alone. So this is serious business. Your life and how you live is serious business. It doesn't earn your salvation, but it does demonstrate whether you are a real believer or not. I I don't know if this is the way it's going to work or not, but I imagine God just playing our life on some kind of a big screen and everybody in the universe watches it. And, <laughs> and, and he says, see, that's my son. That's my daughter. Look at, look at this right there. Look at that right there. Do you see how they, they witnessed to their neighbor? Do you see how they took uh, food to that sick person in their church that day? Do you see how they went and visited that guy who was in prison to try to encourage him? Do you, do you see how they, on missional community, they would go out together and they would share the gospel with other people? Do, do you see how they spent their lives trying to help other believers in their local body? Do you see at the time that they invested in other people discipling them? You, watch, look, and see that this person was mine. He was a genuine believer in Jesus Christ. In fact, even in Romans, back in our, our text, Romans chapter 2, Paul says something that seems crazy. It seems exactly opposite to what he's going to say later in the book. He says in chapter 2, verse 13, It is not the hearers of the law who were just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Now, that doesn't sound right, does it? <laughs> the doers of the law are going to be justified? There's two ways to understand that verse. Some people think that it's hypothetical. In other words, hypothetically, if anybody could perfectly keep the law, then God would justify them. I don't, I don't think that's what Paul means here. It doesn't sound to me like he's bringing up a hypothetical situation. It seems like he's talking very naturally and plainly. Well, if it doesn't mean that, what could it possibly mean? I think what he's talking about is not perfect law-keeping, but he's talking about the actions that flow out of a, of a regenerate heart. This person loves God and wants to obey Him. And he seeks with his life to do the things God has commanded him to do. Notice it says, He will be justified. Future tense. Not has been. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore having been justified by faith. Yes, that took place. But this justification is in the sense of he's going to vindicate you or approve you on the final day of judgment in the future because he's going to show to all the world that this person sought to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. He sought to keep his commandments. So, yeah, Salvation is a free gift, but your life will be what God is going to judge and use to sentence you to everlasting joy or everlasting misery. He's going to play your life. 
And it's not just to determine your rewards. It is that. At this judgment, God is going to determine your rewards based on your life. But that's not all this is. I've often heard preachers and teachers say, well, believers will be there, but all they're going to do is just get their rewards. That's not what Romans 2 says. That's not what it says in Matthew 25, that all the nations are going to be gathered and he's going to say, depart from me or come into my kingdom to that assembled group. Romans 2 talks about when he comes to judge, some will be receiving eternal life and some will be receiving eternal wrath at this judgment. So, yes, it is to receive your reward, but it's also to hear your everlasting sentence from the lips of Christ. Wow. I mean, I can't think of anything that has more power, more, more, that's more sobering than this that we're looking at right now in the scriptures. God will play your life and he'll say, see that time when this person paid his brother's gas bill when he had no money. Or he'll say, look at the times when he drove way out of his way to pick up people to bring them to church because he wanted them to grow in Christ. I mean, you can fill in the blanks. <laughs> I can't even think of all the different ways this is going to come up. But everything in our lives, there's nothing unimportant. There's nothing mundane to God. We looked at that last week. God's going to judge the way you worked. Colossians chapter 3 at the very last two verses. The way you work for your employer, God's going to judge that, and you'll be rewarded according to that. Every idle word that we've spoken will come up for judgment in that day. So nothing is unimportant. And the Lord is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love, in which you have loved and served the saints. So folks, if you have been born again, and you have seen the Lord work in you to where you have begun to obey Him, and you've been seeking to love the brethren... Take heart, because these are deeds that the Lord will bring up and show the, the universe, this, is, this one's mine, he's a sheep. That's why he's on my right hand here. And that's why you'll receive the words, come you blessed of my father. Now remember, this was God's work in you. It's not your righteousness. It's his righteousness that he's working in you by the Holy Spirit. We can't take credit for this, but we can rejoice in this. So that's principle number five. The judgment will be according to our deeds. Principle number six. The judgment of God is going to be impartial. Verse 11 says, there is no partiality with God. The verse that comes before it talks about how there's going to be glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there's no partiality with God. And then verse 12, For all who have sinned without the law, that's the Gentiles, will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law, that's the Jews, will be judged by the law. Do you see how he's comparing and contrasting the Jews and the Gentiles and sandwiched right in the middle of all that, he says there's no partiality with God. So what's he saying? He's saying that God isn't going to have two different standards. He's not going to be soft on the Jews because they were his chosen people and hard on the Gentiles. He's going to have one standard for Jew and Gentile. And that standard is, does your life, do your deeds, evidence your faith? Now, 
we look at this and say, well, there's a problem here because the Jews were given God's law. The Gentiles weren't. So how can God be impartial if he's going to judge Jew and Gentile according to their deeds and only the Jews knew what deeds God required of them because they alone had the law? You see how that can be a problem, a tension in your mind? Well, I think we need to think about it a little bit differently. Yes, the Jews were the only ones who received the law of Moses. That is true. But God's not going to judge the Gentiles according to the law of Moses because they didn't have it. So what's he going to judge them according to? Verse 15. It says, In that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. So the Jews have the law of Moses. The Gentiles have the work of the law written on their hearts. God will judge the Jew according to the work of the law that has been written on his heart. I mean, the Gentile. I may have said that wrong. He'll judge the Jew according to the law that he received. In other words, every person has a certain amount of light that they have received. God's going to judge them according to that light and say, does your deeds, does your life evidence the fact that you believed in this truth that I gave you or not? Now, verse 12 says, all who have sinned without the law, that's the Gentiles, they're going to perish without the law. It's assuming that they don't know Christ as Savior. They will perish if they have sinned. And the Jews who have sinned under the law, if they don't have a Savior, they're going to perish. They'll be judged by that law. So God's judgment on the final day is going to be impartial. It's going to be strict, it's going to be just, and it's going to be the same standard. He'll judge each man according to the light that they have received during this particular lifetime. That tells me that we are pretty responsible here in this church because we have a lot of light. Think about all the light you have. Especially if you grew up in a Christian family with parents that actually opened the Bible and read to you. You belong to a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church here at the bridge. You have a lot of light. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, God's pouring light into you, flooding you with light. You have several Bibles in your home that you can open up and read anytime you want to. That's a lot of light. You're involved in a missional community where you have brothers and sisters speaking the Word of God to you. There's light, light, light. So we're, we're very responsible before God. We're responsible to live according to the light that he's given to us. And so God's question is not going to be, did you learn and know all of my will? Rather, it's going to be, did you do my will? The emphasis is always on the deeds. The deeds. They, they show if we possess living faith or dead faith. Okay, seventh principle. The judgment of God will expose the secrets of men. Verse 16 it says, On the day when according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. Now, it, we're not told explicitly whether everybody in the universe is shown the secrets of men. Do you, you understand where I'm... In other words, when God judges your life, does everybody else see all of your secrets? You understand? 
I, and I can't be dogmatic here because I'm not sure, but I, th- I think it probably means that. <laughs> I, all of our secrets are going to come out, folks. I mean, you may have tried really, really hard to keep some things secret from anybody else during this life. It's all going to come out one day. <clears throat> yes, yes. For Christians, they're under the blood, they're covered, they're forgiven. Praise God, right? <laughs> they, they can't condemn you. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But they're still going to come out. Remember 2 Corinthians 5.10? It says He's going to judge us according to our deeds. What we have done, whether good or bad, they're, all the bad things are coming out as well as the good stuff. And God's going to judge it all. And He's going to sentence us based on whether we had possessed living faith in Christ or not to heaven or hell. That's a, yeah, it's a scary thought. There's, I think two things may help us here. Let me give you those two things. Number one, every other person besides you is going to have their secrets revealed too. <laughs> not just you. We're going to see, everyone's seeing a bunch of secrets on that day. <laughs> That's not better? <laughs> well, God's not going to just single you out, right? And the other thing is, if you've trusted Christ, those secret sins will never condemn you. So why then would God do this? If, if we are understanding this correctly, why would he bring out all the secrets of men on Judgment Day? And I think these are the answers that came to me. Number one, to show the enormity of our guilt and the enormity of the grace that was needed to cover all of our secret shameful deeds. Number two, to inspire a great avalanche of praise from every redeemed soul so that we will worship like never before. When we see... Even that horrible thing that I did, it's gone. And it can't hold me. And I'm forgiven of that because of Christ and what Christ did. Now this is not just taught here in Romans 2.16. It's taught in other places too. Let's look at them. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. Paul says, Therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time. But wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. You notice that? Wow. He's going to bring to light the things hidden in the darkness. And not only that, he's going to disclose the motives. Not just the actions. He's going to disclose the motives of why you did what you did. But we're all going to be sunk when it comes to that. Because our motive, who is it? I don't know if anybody here has an absolutely pure motive for anything you ever do. You know, there's always a little bit of sin in there. You know, we want to be noticed. We want the praise of men. We, uh, we got all these crazy wrong things going around that affect us. But there it is. He's going to bring to light things hidden in the darkness. Or... Jesus' words in Luke chapter 12, when he's talking to his disciples, and it's in the context of Judgment Day, and that's what makes me think of that Jesus, in these words, is talking about what's going to happen on Judgment Day. He says in Luke 12, 2, There is nothing covered up that will not be revealed. There is nothing hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, Whatever you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. 
So everything that you thought nobody ever heard you say, you just whispered it to that one other person, that piece of gossip, everyone's going to know what you said. (laughs) It's going to be brought to light. And God's going to show you all of the sins that Christ has covered and washed away through his blood. And it's going to cause in all of us a great crescendo of worship and praise to our mighty Savior for what he has done to redeem our souls. One more. This one came up at our missional community. Myung actually brought this up, but it's the last verse of the book of Ecclesiastes. Let's look at that one real quick. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. There it is again. We've got four witnesses now that sing the same thing. Four passages of Scripture. Does that frighten you to think about that? No? Some people are okay with that? Makes me a little nervous. That It ought to inspire us. It ought to motivate us to holy living. I I would rather have less of those things that are going to come up than more. Wouldn't you? Amen. This can be a motivator towards holiness for us. If we believe this and contemplate this and consider everything's coming to light, well, let's, let's live a life where we don't have to worry about that. Right? Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the good and the evil. He sees. And he takes note. And he's writing it all down in a book. And it's all going to come up on Judgment Day. So those are the, the three principles I wanted to give you. Those are the seven total principles. Folks, God has fixed a day in which he's going to judge the world. Every person's going to be there. You're going to be there, and I'm going to be there. And we're not going to be there just as spectators or those who are receiving rewards. We're going to be those who will have our lives judged. We'll be giving an account. Romans 14.12 says we're going to give an account for everything we've done. God will expose everything we've ever done. Let's live our lives now that give proof that we're genuine believers. Right? How will we fare? I mean, think about that. How will you fare on that judgment day? If you were to die this instant and stand before God and judgment day happened, how would you fare right now? Would you hear from the lips of Christ words of praise? Are there works of love towards the saints that God can show? If you know the Lord, I know that's true about you. Let's excel when it comes to these things. Amen? Amen. Let's excel still more to love the brethren, to lay down our lives sacrificially for one another, to give money to the work of, of missions around the world, to give our money to help hurting people around us. Let's live our lives full on and flat out for Jesus Christ. Just like our brother Don was sharing, that he, he, he doesn't want to have regrets when it comes for him to die. He wants just to pass into eternity knowing that he, he lived full on for Christ to his last breath. The Lord is calling us, whatever we do, whether we eat or drink or whatever it happens to be, let's do all to the glory of God. Are there any sins in your life that you're just ignoring? Repent of those sins this morning.
Are there any duties that Christ has laid upon you that you're shirking? Think about that. Is there anything like that in your life that you just, I'll get to it later, maybe someday. No, if God has called you to do something, whether it is discipling that person in your life, whether it's having devotions with family members, whether it is uh, living with your wife in an understanding way, whether it is submitting to your husband, whether it is obeying or honoring your parents, whether it is living a life for the eyes of God when you're on your job, not for the eyes of man. I mean, there's so many ways this can work out. But if there's any duty that the Lord has put upon you, stop shirking that duty and resolve this morning that you're going to begin to obey whatever that thing is that the Lord is calling you to. Because your life will be judged according to your deeds. Let's pray. Lord, your word is so sobering. And I think the only way it doesn't grip us is if we're half asleep to the realities of what it says. Otherwise, we'd be like Christian with our fingers and our ears running. Life, life, eternal life. Lord, I pray that you would help, help us to train ourselves to live each moment in the light of eternity. I pray that you would produce an abundance of good deeds from these saints. I pray, Lord, that we would love the brethren. Even say in 1 John that we are to lay down our lives for the brethren. I, I pray that more and more we would see acts of service and self-sacrifice taking place in our life and the lives of others that we know. May we show you, Lord Jesus Christ, that we love you by keeping your commandments. And we all pray together through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.